guys, it is my anniversary today. Chris and I are celebrating 16 years of marriage, and I am just, I'm just really glad I remembered. Today, by the way, is Friday, June 12th, and today, incidentally, is Loving Day, a celebration marking that on this day in 1967, the Supreme Court struck down state bans against interracial marriages. Hi and hello! You found the podcast for moms who don't have time for podcasts. You can think of me as your internet bestie as we share recommendations, laugh about the ridiculous things we see online, and cheer each other on. I'm Indiana Adams, and today, by the way, is the short and sweet podcast that hopefully brightens your day. I am so glad you're here. My mother-in-law texted me this week to ask if Chris and I chose our wedding date because of Loving Day. We didn't. We just chose a Saturday in June closest to our dating anniversary and the venue that we wanted was open. But I love now knowing that we got married on Loving Day. The day is named for the monumental case Loving versus Virginia and the interracial couple at its center. A white man named Richard Loving, yes, that was his real last name, and Mildred Jeter Loving, who is black a couple from the town of Central Point in Caroline County, Virginia. Richard, a white construction worker, and Mildred, a woman of mixed African-American and Native American ancestry, were longtime friends who had fallen in love. Mildred was pregnant, and Richard wanted to marry her to help raise the child, but they knew that Virginia's 1924 Racial Integrity Act forbid interracial marriages. Knowing that they would be unable to get a marriage license in their home state, the couple traveled to Washington, D.C. on June 2, 1958 to be wed and then returned home to Virginia staying with Mildred's family. On July 11, 1958, just five weeks after their wedding, the Lovings were woken in their bed at about 2 a.m. and arrested by the local sheriff. Richard and Mildred were indicted on charges of violating Virginia's anti-miscegenation law, which deemed interracial marriages a felony. When the couple pleaded guilty the following year, Judge Leon Bazil sentenced them to one year in prison, but then he suspended the sentence on the condition that they would leave Virginia and not return together for a period of 25 years. Following their court case, the Lovings were forced to leave Virginia and relocate to Washington, D.C., The couple lived in exile in the nation's capital for several years and raised three children, sons, Sidney and Donald, and a daughter, Peggy, but they longed to return to their hometown. The Lovings were able to live together legally in Washington, D.C., but they did not have an easy time. They faced discrimination everywhere. They were not able to rent property in most parts of the city, and they were often the target of racist taunting. Also, they were facing the emotional hardship of separation from their families and and the hometowns where they grew up. They were having difficulty supporting their children. They just wanted to go home. Remember, this is the late 1950s and the early 1960s. Most people stayed near where they grew up. So in 1963, five years after their exile, a desperate Mildred Loving wrote a letter to U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy asking for assistance. Kennedy referred the Lovings to the American Civil Liberties Union, which agreed to assign them two young lawyers to the case for free. The Lovings began their legal battle in November of 1963, simply filing a motion asking for Judge Bazil to vacate their conviction and set aside their sentences. He refused, so they took the case to the Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals, which also upheld the original ruling. 
Following another appeal and then another appeal, the case finally made its way to the United States Supreme Court in April of 1967, so nine years after they had been married. During oral arguments before the Supreme Court, Virginia's assistant attorney general defended the constitutionality of his state's anti-miscegenation laws and compared it to similar regulations against incest and polygamy. Cohen and Herkshop, who were the ACLU lawyers representing the Lovings, argued that the Virginia statute was illegal under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees that all citizens should have due process and equal protection under the law. During one exchange, Herkshop stated that Virginia's interracial marriage laws and others like it were rooted in racism and white supremacy. He argued, these are not health and welfare laws. These are slavery laws, pure and simple. The Supreme Court announced its ruling in Loving v. Virginia on June 12, 1967. In a unanimous decision, the justices found that Virginia's interracial marriage laws violated the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Chief Justice Earl Warren wrote, Under our Constitution, the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed by the state. The landmark ruling not only overturned the Loving's 1958 criminal conviction, it also struck down laws against interracial marriage in 16 U.S. states, including Virginia. In other words, the victory was theirs personally, but more importantly, it also granted the same freedom to every interracial couple in every state in America. At the time of this loving decision, 16 states in holdout states in the Southeast, from Delaware to Texas, still had laws banning interracial couples. The ruling in Loving versus Virginia made it illegal for these states to enforce those laws. This ended a long era of laws that were enforced in 42 states over the course of American history. Those laws did not only apply to black people and white people. Most states also restricted relationships with Asians, Native Americans, Indians, Hispanics, and other ethnic groups. So these state laws, they were all struck down. I wish it meant that everything got magically better. But anyone in an interracial marriage will tell you they still endure racism. In fact, incredibly, laws against interracial couples stayed on the books for decades after the Loving decision. In 1998, a clause that prohibited the, quote, marriage of a white person with a Negro or mulatto or a person who shall have one-eighth or more Negro blood, end quote, was removed from South Carolina's state constitution. According to a Mason-Dixon poll four months before the vote, 22% of South Carolina voters were opposed to the removal of this clause. In Alabama, it took until the year 2000 to remove these laws from the Alabama state constitution, which stated in section 102, quote, the legislature shall never pass any law to authorize or legalize any marriage between any white person and a Negro or descendant of a Negro, end quote. According to a poll conducted by the Mobile Register in September of 2000, 19% of voters said they didn't want that section removed from the constitution. Y'all, that wasn't that long ago. That was the year that the movie Bring It On came out. I mean, maybe in some weird way this explains Alabama Hannah. You know, Hannah Brown from The Bachelorette and Dancing with the Stars and her, her recent controversy of rapping the N-word while drunk on TikTok. She was in the first grade when her state finally said, well, maybe we should officially change our constitution since we haven't really been able to enforce this since 1967. 
So really, it wasn't that long ago. I wish the Loving family had a happier ending here, but Richard Loving was killed in 1975 when a drunk driver in Caroline County struck the couple's car. Mildred lost her husband and an eye, but she survived the crash and went on to spend the rest of her life in Central Point, Virginia, her hometown that she fought for years to move back to. She died in 2008, having never remarried. Peggy, their daughter, is the only child of theirs still living today. I'm thankful for the Loving family, and I am astounded that I had not heard of them until last year. How did this society-altering case get left out of my history lessons in the Midwest growing up? Is it because 1967 is the year after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated that history doesn't dare share its dirty side and its systemic oppression unless there's a death or a martyr? My mom was 10 years old in 1967, and when she was born in 1957, 10 states did not allow Asians to marry white people. 26 of those states did not allow black people to marry white people. That's more than half of our country around the time when our grandparents were getting married that weren't allowed to marry between races. We've been taking teeny tiny baby steps since then, and I'm, I'm really grateful that in 2004 I could marry Chris with no questions asked. Well, there was one question asked. When you, <laughs> when you apply for a Georgia marriage license, they want to know if you're first cousins. You can be first cousins. Marrying, marrying your first cousin is totally legal in Georgia and in Alabama and in 17 other states. But other than that, as two consenting adults, we could get married. No questions asked. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to spotlight today's sponsor. Okay, it is time to think outside the barbecue and alcohol and sports-related gifts for dads. Father's Day is coming up. It's June 21st, and I promise, dads like thoughtful, sentimental gifts too. One of the best gifts we've ever given Chris's parents has been the chance to connect with us and our children through StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions and their memories and their personal thoughts. It's the gift of spending time together wherever you live and recording stories that may be lost forever otherwise. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family members different story prompts, questions you may have never thought to ask, like, what were your grandparents like? Or, tell me about your first big trip. Reading the answers from Chris's parents has been so sweet. We've been able to learn so much about Papa Tim since giving him StoryWorth. Here's what I love most about StoryWorth. After a year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question and include uploaded photos that we choose to include and combine them into a lovely keepsake book that's shipped for free. And you can pay for extra copies. My family will treasure these books forever, and I can have extra copies made for Papa Tim's other two kids and their kids too. Give your dad the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth. Get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com slash today, by the way. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash today, by the way, for $10 off. And now back to the show. I am not an influencer. I very rarely monetize my Instagram and I don't have a blog. I consider myself to be a podcaster or when pressed, a content creator. But honestly, I don't really sweat it if I lose followers on my personal Instagram or or whatnot. 
but three days ago, I posted a little graphic that I had made for the 27 photos challenge that we talked about last Friday, a challenge where I asked you to look at the Instagram accounts of your favorite retailers or websites and to count back 27 photos to see if they had ever had a photo of a minority person. Most brands I tried this with passed the 27 photos test. Some did not, but I didn't call out any brand that did not pass. I am all for people learning during this time, and I ask that we hold them accountable to their next 27 photos. The day that graphic went live, on Wednesday, I lost a record number of followers. I actually thought that I had a glitch in my account. I work as a social media manager, so I used an industry tool that I use for work on my own account to see who had recently unfollowed me. I was curious. I honestly thought that maybe it was a bot dump something Instagram does periodically to delete a bunch of accounts that it says are fake or are run as robots. But no, 65 out of my 65 recent unfollowers were white women, at least according to their profile photo. And either the word Jesus or faith or Bible verse or prayer hands were in their Instagram bio. So I assume these are Christian. I mean, they're so Christian that they name drop their savior in the bio, which I don't even have in my bio. Chicken wings made it, but not the son of God. <laughs> and, and you know, this actually lines up with what happened with an episode of Coffee and Crumbs that Melanie Dale and I recorded with Latasha Morrison two years ago on the topic of how to talk to kids about race. Again, content made specifically for a mostly Christian audience. But at the time, that episode ended up being one of our lowest downloaded episodes. It was perplexing and frustrating and honestly, just really heartbreaking to me. And last night, I had an hour-long Zoom call with the pastors at our church and some other people, a, a black man and his wife, who's white, and a black woman, about what is the church's deal when it comes to racism? Like, why is there so much pushback in this conversation? I don't sense that kind of pushback here in this space. So let me say that up front. I know who listens to today, by the way. I'm a Christian, so my audience leans Christian. We're mostly American and mostly mothers because I'm American and I'm a mother. And you're here because we relate to one another in some way. And in the five months that we've been doing this show together, we've become internet friends. And because we're friends, I want to ask you, How are you feeling right now? I'm really, really tired these days. Maybe you are too. Chances are you feel a little beat up and you want to shut down emotionally or run away from this conversation or take a really, really long break. You may feel a little bit like my 65 unfollowers. I'm here for the fun stuff, Indiana, not all this. I want to affirm you, this work of racial reconciliation, it is hard, heavy, and uncomfortable, and relentless. But I do want to ask you to sit with the uncomfortableness for as long as you can bear. Because today, I'd like us to practice listening well. You may have seen the challenge called Share the Mic Now that happened earlier this week on social media on June 10th. Black women activists took over the Instagram accounts of white celebrities. The why? Rachel Cargill wrote, When the world listens to women, it listens to white women. For far too long, black women's voices have gone unheard, even though they've been using their voices loudly for centuries to enact change. 
Today, more than ever, it is necessary that we create a unifying action to center Black women's lives, stories, and calls to action. The intention of this campaign is to magnify Black women and the important work they're doing in order to catalyze the change that will only come when we truly hear each other's voices. Rachel Cargill took over Sarah Paulson's Instagram. Alencia Johnson took over Jen Hadmaker's Instagram. And Austin Channing Brown took over Brene Brown's Instagram and, and a ton, ton more. It was a beautiful thing and I was here for it. But then Patricia A. Taylor, a woman that I adore and have learned so much from in the last two weeks via Instagram, said that you didn't have to be a celebrity to do Share the Mic Now. So that's what the remainder of this episode will be. I've been a part of the Women of Color podcasters group on Facebook for a couple years now, so I asked there and on my Instagram account if five Black Christian mothers would be interested in sharing a message on this podcast to our audience that's mostly white, mostly Christian, mostly American, and mostly moms. If you fall outside those categories, you are still welcome here, but please know that I specifically sought out gospel-centered points of view because... Well, because I think the American church has a responsibility to see this as a human rights and spiritual matter to be worked at in faith and not a political issue to continue to ignore or silence. I told our contributors that you are the best people on the internet, that you are kind and open-minded and tender-hearted and eager to learn. I let them know that it is not their responsibility to educate me or to educate you, but that I wanted to offer up my humble platform and allow them to amplify anything, really anything they had to share. Five women, Brianna May, Audricia Lynn, Princess James, Jennifer Delphin, and Alicia Coco Graham graciously wrote something with the prompt, what would you like this audience to know? And then they made recordings for us. I invite you to prayerfully listen, to follow them on social media, and to continue the work of listening to others well and amplifying underrepresented voices. Hi, you guys. My name is Brianna May, and I'm from Mishawaka, Indiana. It's been really hard during the pandemic. I have been the cook, the cleaner, the teacher for three kids under the age of eight. I thought the pandemic was really hard, but the protests and the riots going on have been really hard for us. You see, I'm in an interracial relationship, and sometimes I've been told that my experience isn't the same because my husband is white. Well, I do see and I hear everything that's going on, and it's rough. My call to action to you is to check on your friends and check on them often. See how they're really doing. Are they taking care of themselves? What is their self-care ritual? Because they need to know that you, you hear them and you see them. I am praying for our country. I am praying for everyone during this time. On another note, if you want to follow me and my family and our wild bunch of things that we're always doing, you can follow me on Instagram, bmay01. Hello, hello, everybody. My name is Audricia Lynn, and I am located in Dallas, Texas. And before I get into this, I just want to say thank you all so much for taking the time to even sit here and listen to me. Um, With that being said, I just want to impart some wisdom uh, to any person who might be listening, wanting, you know, answers to everything that's been happening. A little background about me. I am a black woman, Christian. 
I have a very, very, very diverse group of friends. Like all of my friends do not look like me. All of my friends do not share my Christian faith. That is just something I chose for myself to keep myself out of my bubble. I know personally that if I choose to surround myself with like things, so if it's just people who experience, you know, black experiences, just people who are just Christians, I rob myself of a true world experience. And that's not to say I'm a worldly person, but I lock myself into this bubble of ignorance. So with that being said, I'm going to just jump straight into the practical. I have had, you know, all of my close white friends. These are not people who I don't talk to on the reg- on a regular basis. These are people who I truly do life with. I have found out, you know, over the past week and a half that I am their only black friend. So I prefaced all this to say I didn't realize personally that so many people did not have a diverse group of friends. So for an action step that you can truly start to take, take a very good hard look in your circle and ask yourself, do I have one friend, just one, maybe two, and I still two is not enough. How many friends do I have in my immediate circle that are different than me? And I think that's how we can truly start when it comes about with racial reconciliation. Because when you choose to put yourself around different walks of life, you will always get you know some type of of input of what's going on in worlds that are you know not nearby you. So let's say I have you know white friends. We get together. We talk about things that are happening within our own cultures. You might not have that experience if you choose to only surround yourself with, you know, certain types of people. And I will say this is a very controversial thing that's about to come out of my mouth. Don't surround yourself with just Candace Owens type of people. If you know who that is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She does not represent black people at all. So if she is the type of person and, you know, that's the type of black friend you got, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have yourself a black friend. You have a black friend who likes to appease white people. Again, that is such a very controversial topic, but I'm telling you this because, again, I have a very, very diverse group of friends. So the best thing you can do for yourself right now, a practical step, is to get to know people who are not like you, empathize with them, understand who they are, what they come from, why they think the way they think, why they behave the way they behave, why do they believe what they believe, why are you a Christian, what led you to be a Christian, why are they not? Get to know people, and the way I'm able to do this so easily is because I have to remind myself from a Christian standpoint of that if the God that I know, love, and serve created me, He created everybody else in this world too. So regardless of what choices somebody else makes, you know, as far as their religious belief is, he still created them because God is God and he's always going to be God. He has always been God. So if he can make our skin colors different, our cultural backgrounds that come with that skin color are all different. Why would I not want to understand that? Why would I not want to understand you know, what my neighbors are going through, what hardships they're going through. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, you know, this doesn't matter because it happens to all people. No, I want to understand because my God made you and you were like, he strategically gave you that skin for a reason. It comes with, you know, baggage. Every single person's culture does. It comes with some sort of baggage. And I personally always want to understand that. And it gives me a new understanding of who our God is and how every single thing works for his good no matter how ugly it may be no matter how stressful it may be 
Those are the things that I look forward to and the reason why I choose to diversify my circle. Because like I said, regardless of what somebody may believe, regardless of what that person looks like, at the end of the day, I am learning so much more about my God. So I will keep it super, super brief. Um, That is my call to action to you. I would love to connect with each and every one of y'all. I don't have a podcast of my own, but I do have a blog. It is Audrisha Lynn. You can find me on Instagram. That's A-U-D-R-E-S-H-A-L-Y-N-N. Um, that's on Instagram, that's on Facebook, and you can also find me on my website is audrishalynn.com. All right, thank y'all so much. I'll see y'all around. Bye. Hello, everyone. My name is Princess James, and I am from Houston, Texas. I am a single mother of four, and because of the color of our skin, we are not treated equally. My children will not be afforded the same opportunities as your children. African Americans as a whole are perceived as violent, uneducated, unemployable, sexually irresponsible, and negligent. Their children are criminalized, often treated as adults. There is much that needs to be changed in the world that we live in today. My one request is that you do not ignore the racial injustices, and when given the opportunity, you have the courage to stand up for what's right. My name is Jennifer Delphin. I live in Beaufort, Georgia. And the one thing I want you to know about racial reconciliation is that it's going to come from true dialogue over debate. I think once we let down our offenses, drop our walls, stop trying to defend our stories and our beliefs and truly open our hearts to listen to what others have to say, we can really learn and allow God to enter our hearts and do the work that it takes to heal these wounds. Black women, black moms, black people, People just want to be heard. They want to feel like their voice matters and they want to feel like people really listen, hear them, appreciate them and take into account their stories and experiences. Jesus calls us to humble ourselves so that we can heal our land. And I think a true humbling needs to happen and we need to sit face to face with each other and have true open conversation about the hurts that we've had in the past. Once we can do this, I know that God can heal us and that we can move past so many of the hurts that we have had. I would love to connect with you more. You can follow me on Instagram at the Fit Adventures of Jen. And I look forward to open, beautiful dialogue. Hi there. My name's Elisha Graham, but most folks call me Coco. And I'm from sunny Sacramento, California. As I think about racial reconciliation, what I would love to share with you today is how much this work is the heart of God. He wants us to be reconciled, not just to him, but to each other. And one of our paths forward into this is to follow in Jesus's footsteps and speak up for the marginalized and to operate as peacemakers and bridge builders. We know Jesus loved everybody, but all throughout the gospel, he specifically called out groups of people who were being oppressed during their time. He specifically calls out and makes sure that his disciples, his believers know that Gentile lives matter, that Samaritan lives matter, that widow lives matter, that orphan lives matter. He called them out not to lift them up above others, but to elevate the injustices that they were subjected to and to call his church to treat them as brothers and sisters. 
And this is the same call that you're seeing from your Black brothers and sisters when they are saying Black lives matter. Not that it matters more, but to elevate their unjust treatment and to lift it out of darkness and into the light so that we can bring healing into that situation. We are to be the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers. And one of the ways into peace is through justice. Again, we look to Jesus as our example who became justice for our sins so that we could, by faith, have peace with God. Racial reconciliation is not political work. It's God's work. It is justice work so that we can have peace as a body of believers. And as a first step or a next step, I'd love to invite you over to my Instagram page. You can find me at Coco Speaks. I want you to specifically look for my post entitled Teachable Moment. I believe that this will really help you as you begin to examine your own journey in this work. Again, you can find me at Instagram at Coco Speaks. And from there, you can also link to my podcast, The Perfect Poor with Coco Speaks. I look forward to being connected with you and I can't wait to hear your feedback on how your journey is progressing. Thanks so much. These are all powerful, honest words and just really wonderful things to write about and pray about and meditate over and to use this as a catalyst to take our next steps in education. I'd love it if you could take the time to tell each of these women thank you for their vulnerability and their willingness to teach us empathy. Our challenge this week is to keep diversifying. Check your feed, your podcast subscriptions, and your bookshelves. Today's Good Time Good Deal only works for today, June 12th. InterVarsity Press is giving away one free ebook of your choice from their selection of resources for faithful justice, and they have a selection of books by authors of color too. The promo code is just JUST2020, and Ivy Press will continue to pay the full royalties to the authors of these important books. I chose a book by Amina Brown, a poet, a speaker, and a journalist that I've been a big fan of for years now. The book is called Breaking Old Rhythms, Answering the Call of a Creative God. And as soon as I'm done reading Harry Potter, that's my next read. Go to Ivy, like the letter I, the letter V, press.com and use the code JUST20 and tell me what you download. Okay, friend. That is it for today. Show notes with outgoing links to each of today's contributors are at todaybytheway.com slash episodes. And you know what? Follow all of them on Instagram. You heard an ad for StoryWorth in this episode. It's a great gift, but the proceeds from that ad will be allocated to the women who educated us today and to be the bridge. I want to wrap up by reading the 16th and final bonus tip from Be a Bridge Builder 101. Latasha Morrison writes, Don't give up. Stay in the race. Take care of yourself. Find community. Keep a Sabbath. Abide in the word. Pray. Laugh. Cry. Yell. Sit quietly. Sing. Dance. Remember that our hope is in Jesus, who is present and who sees all and who grieves more deeply than you over racial oppression then come back and work hard again tomorrow. 
happy loving day. Today is a new day, and friend, I am cheering you on.